Welcome back to the second part of Smudge's story. My name is Nicholas McInerney and this is Rainbow Dad's Series 2. So were you successful at joining, when you joined the army at, at yeah. staying in the closet and how did that, you talked about losing your virginity at 18 and yeah. everything, is that, tell me about how you met your then wife etc, how, how did that happen and, and what were your what were your, your 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 idea about your sexuality at that point? So I, I I was developing more into the understanding that I was more than likely gay. There was there was never any attraction to women in any way, shape, or form. This was back in the late nineties when the pinups with the topless models and page three page girls three were still thing. all over the place. The Pirelli on, calendars on locker yeah. doors and yeah, in yeah. the back of back of back of doors, um, and so I had to tag along with the party line. Um, I. How did that make you feel, Smudge? I was. Were you good at it? I was. I was very good at it. Yeah, because I can see. I you know, you're so very focused. convincing. You're, you've got an air about you. You're very convincing. You're yeah. very ground. You seem very grounded. I can imagine that you would be very good at at covering your tracks. Yeah. The reason I hadn't gone and applied for the army in the first instance because I thought I was quite a very laid back and lazy individual. So I was. I thought it was going to be too much hard work for me. That's why I went for the Navy first and then the Air Force. Do you think, again, you don't come across like that as well? You seem really on, on it. <laughs> I'm a very, very laid-back person. As soon as I get home this afternoon, I'm putting my pyjamas on, my feet up, playing PlayStation and watching the TV. <laughs> um, so I, I, I was very focused on making sure I could get through the training. To, to, to be able to convince people, to be able to succeed in this ruse I have to convince people, so I have to be successful. So training was, was into, it, it is for everybody. It was very intense, it was very tiring, and it was exhausting, and it was 24 seven. And so I was very focused on that. So there was never any thought of my sexuality or my sexual gratification. What's interesting about this is it seems to me that you actively sought out ways to avoid having to confront it. This is not, this is mm -hmm. not, an allegation uh, it's not meant pejoratively because I recognize that in yeah. my own behavior but it seems to me that you were spectacularly successful probably at finding ways to avoid having to confront this essential fact about yourself oh, abso absolutely and it was something I, I years later realized was a very subconscious fact I I am doing everything I can to prove that I'm not gay yeah to prove these bullies wrong the, the, the children that bullied me in, in my first high school, I wanted to prove them wrong. Whether that be I purged the gay out of me or whether that be I became the best at the job and then became openly gay yeah. was probably rumbling around in the background. That's kind, of, that's kind of how it went there, wasn't yeah, it? That's, that's what's so wonderful because... You know, the bullies were wrong regardless of whether they were bullying you yeah. about you being gay. And that's a separate issue from your own journey of self-acceptance, which, of course, is the really essential one. But yeah. by being the best gay uh, officer in the in the army, I think, is, fan is a fantastic ambition to have. Anyway, so continue. No, no. I want to hear more. I want to hear about... Uh, so you weren't sexually active during this time? So, no, I... It, and that was quite hard. Because I bet it was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> young man, you're very good looking. I mean, yeah. exactly. It, was, it would have been very tough. It, and, and, you know, you're surrounded. There's there's a mix. There's... Men in uniform as well. Exactly. There's, there's, this, whole, <laughs> there's this whole category of 
of sexual awakening and, and sexual attraction to, to men in uniform and, and yeah. fit and nubile young men. My friend Ridian was in SBS. He used to say he, he, he was so fit yeah. that women would literally throw themselves at him. Yes. Literally. And I can quite believe it. And I, mm. again, we've talked a bit about the kind of the homosocial, this idea of the kind of very homoerotic nature of of being in the army. You talked yeah. about guys getting blowjobs in the bar to kind of say, I'm not, oh, yeah. gay. I'm not gay, but I'll give you a blowjob because you're my mate, you yeah. know? And, yeah. you know, it's, it from an outsiding point of view, that's both extremely exciting yes. and, you know, but doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. But that if you're actually in that environment, smart, how do you cope it's, with it? <laughs> because the other 50% of that is, is actually realising how horrendously gross and disgusting it is to share a room with th- 29 other men yeah. Aged between 17 and 25. Yes. There are smells, there are sounds, there is language. And so f- like 50% of it is this this fantasy attraction. Of, ma- of kind of masculinity. Of and, masculinity uh, yeah, and nobility. And, yeah, yeah. and the other 50% is hearing about the size of the shit that Jono's yeah. just laid in the toilet, you know. to let my my then girlfriend know I'd met her through friends and as the relationship was developing and she'd fallen pregnant with my son yes um I had to let her know that I, I just felt if we if we're in this relationship and we're being open about things I got to let you know that there's this thing about me and I passed it off as being bisexual Yes, well, I identify completely with that because that's exactly what I did with my wife. Yeah. I wrote her a letter before we got married saying I thought I was bisexual. Because yeah. I kind of wanted to give her an option. If she still, if then, because it's a slightly different situation mm-hmm. to you, uh, if then she felt that she didn't want to get married to me, that at least I was being honest. And I, yeah. and I commend you for that because I do yeah. think, I'm sure there are guys who, who, for, whom, who, for whom that was not an option to, to be able to be that honest. Yeah. Um, so how did she respond to that? I vaguely remember the conversation going along the lines of, okay, well, you've told me now, but we're never going to look at that side of it again because right. you're going to be married to me. And that was pretty much how then we played it for the rest of the marriage. Um, and it was it, it was in part a relief because then the, the picture of of being this straight individual was was almost completely rounded off. It was great. It was done. In terms um, of social expectation, you ticked I, all the boxes. Everything you? that I, w- the box I felt I didn't fit into, I was now sitting in. Yes. Whilst in part that felt uncomfortable, there was still that element of great. I I, I can focus more on work now because I have to focus less on hiding. Um, and we were we were together for, we were together for about two years before we got married. Yes. And then we were married together for four years. Um, and in that four years, we'd had my son. My daughter had bought, uh, my wife had bought her daughter from previous relationship in, who is, right. um, I class her still as my daughter to this day. I've raised her since she was for five. Sure. Um, and we went on to have two more daughters. So I've got a daughter, a son, and two daughters. So okay. I've got four children. So how was your sex life with your wife? How was that for you? Average. Very, very <laughs> average. I remember conversations, I think in the early days, as you do in that honeymoon period, yeah. 
it was, and I I developed this very good thing of switching a switch in my head. You know, on one side of the switch it says gay, on the other side it says straight, and I would switch that switch to the straight side, and we would do what we needed to do in the first year. It's or fascinating because so I've written down here effort of will, and yeah. there's a lot of the times you've talked about things that you've you've persuaded yourself that you can do and go ahead, and you've done them, and it seems to me that you've done it through sheer effort of will. I yep. will be this person. And also, as men, we do d departmentalise yeah. a lot, don't we? And I, I think the the stereotypical expectation of the man to have this strong will, desire to be successful or do this or yes. do this, that was the imprint Provide for your family, all yeah. of those things. And I think that's what's helped me drive through, having that. I'm not saying that other people don't or it's, it's a no. bad thing. It has its bad knock-on effects because then in the later years when that willpower diminishes that's when the conflict starts coming in but in the early days we were your standard typical young couple in love yes. and you know for a period of time we were at it like rabbits yes. and then as 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 the children came along and as work got busier that's when things sort of started slowing down. And was your career starting to improve at that point? Were, were, was, were you effectively seeing the benefits of hiding your sexuality yes. in terms of your career projection? So you were getting some positives out of this yeah, arrangement. Yeah, um, I remember I got told off many years ago by my ex-wife for it because I got my first promotion... Uh, sorry, no, my daughter was born on the 7th of September and I got my first promotion on the 20th of September. Right. I was actually sitting on top of a hill in Scotland when I the phone call came through to say that my second youngest daughter had been born. And I got, I got confused the year after that and was aiming towards her birthday being on the 20th and not the 7th, and I got told off for that. <laughs> so, yes, that I, I got that promotion. Life was looking good. There were problems at home. But there was a whole multitude of issues between me and my wife. She had she had some issues. I had my yes. issues, um, and the children were were causing merry mayhem as young children all do, especially when you have three very close together. Um, at the end of each year, my children will sit in line of line of age. So yeah. by the end of this year, my son is twenty. My youngest is her birthday is in November. So by November, they will be twenty, nineteen, eighteen. You certainly proved your masculinity then, though, hadn't you? You produced yes. three children. You know, I mean, it, you know, it, it's. I loved being a father. Yep. I loved all of that. So I have no regrets. So you're together for four years. What happens? What happens to to, to bring the, the the breakup? Was that to do with you? Finally, uh, not initially. That that became that became a big part of it, and I think that was the age-old phrase of that was the final nail in the coffin. Yes. But we had, my, my ex-wife was struggling at the time with her, the distance. We were living in Northern Ireland, and she, was, she felt very isolated. This was towards the end of the that, Troubles. That's quite a common experience, I imagine, for, yeah. for, for military wives, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, she was feeling very isolated. She couldn't drive. Oh. Um, we were quite remote, and to go anywhere had to be a big organisational task. You know, right. you had to tell the children what they needed to say, and yes. you had to make sure you were going to certain areas. So I, I can understand the pressure on her for that. Yes. And I was still, I had to focus on work because that was that was a soldier's job. There are so many more regulations above us than a normal employer. And so she said, "Look, I can't cope with this anymore. I need to go home." So we spoke to the army. 
<clears throat> we managed to get her a house back in England, but I would still stay in Northern Ireland. And right. I think that catalyst being that separation and the, the, the time apart gave us both time to think about things. How old were you then? 26. Wow. So you, that is young. Isn't yes. it? You've had th three children. You were father to four children, but you'd had three. Yep. You beat. You've been. You've you've gotten married. You'd 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 start your career started to take off, and then there's this crisis in in your marriage, and you split up. So you're you're 26. You're still that's still very young. Yeah, isn't oh yes, that? absolutely. <coughs> Excuse me. My my eldest daughter is 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 about 26 now. Yeah. And and I hope that she never has to go through anything. The the I'm hoping that by this stage in her life that she has told me mm. the most problematic thing she has had and it, it on a only on a good side is having her children mm. um, because I know my youngest grandson was born with uh, with with health problems right. so there was a period in hospital and I'm hoping that at 26 that's the worst she's ever had to go through. Sure. So you so you're now separated from your wife? Yes. So what happens now? Is this an opportunity for you to finally confront those demons so I, I remember the conversation I remember having multiple conversations with her over time and I remember telling her I remember her, a, a conversation started via a text and she said oh can we can we talk about working this out and I just I was I was a driver in the military at the time and I'd just mm. driven a coach and I remember parking the coach outside my accommodation and she'd messaged and saying can we work this out and I replied oh, I can't talk at the moment I'm just parking a coach but I'm I was fed up of the backwards and forwards of the messaging and and promises of this and arguments about this so I said I can't work this out with you anymore because I am no longer attracted to women parked the coach up and called her and I remember we had a conversation I was on the phone for nearly two hours and I cried for most of that mm -hmm. and I think that was a catharsis expression of me finally starting to come out to the the people closest to me mm -hmm. whilst we had our differences she's the mother of my children mm -hmm. we were still i still consider her a very big part of my life of course um she's a set she's an essential part of your coming out story as yeah, well absolutely because in a sense she was the one who created a safe a safer space for you to be that vulnerable and yeah. nothing is more my experience is that when I was that vulnerable, it was the small kindnesses that people showed yes. me that I found completely debilitating. Oh, yeah. I would be in floods when somebody said something kind to me because I didn't expect that on myself because I yeah. thought I didn't deserve it. And I have a suspicion that you probably felt the same way. I, and I still do in part to this okay. day. I'm, I'm very, I, I find it very hard to take compliments in any way, shape or form. Yeah, um, gay men do. to my ex-wife and I'd come out to close friends and I, even after the 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 betrayal uh, from my high school friend yes. um, it was very hard to do um, a lot of alcohol involved normally and normally when I was extremely drunk would I then have the courage to tell somebody my close friends were good and okay with it um, the the ultimate coming out was to work was when We'd gone from Northern Ireland, we'd moved to Cyprus, we were living in Cyprus, and we were at a function which starts, at, it's a military function in a mess, which is sort of like a mm -hmm. club for, for certain mm -hmm. ranks. We're in the corporal's mess, 
and we'd been drinking since about six o'clock in the morning. It's about seven o'clock in the evening. And rumours had been going around. Perhaps because maybe I was feeling a little freer. Maybe I was this wall of And you'd be drinking for 12 hours. And I've been drinking for 12 <laughs> hours. But I mean, leading up to this day yes. as well had... And, and somebody actually came and asked me outright and said, yeah. you know, there's been some rumours going around, Smudge. Are you gay? And I thought... In my drunken state, I thought, well, if he's got the courage to actually ask me outright, why? what right have I got to deny my brothers the, the, the truth about me? And so I said, yes, I am. And he went, okay, that's cool. Went back and sat down. And I suddenly had this dawning. This is it. This, this is the next yeah. door has now been opened. You know, what is going to happen next? And I sat down at the bar. And I was yeah, feeling this really, sort of yeah. fight and flight. What's going to happen next? Is this going to revert back to what it was like at school? Am I going to be accepted? Is there going to be a mixture? I don't know. And I could see people talking around the room and glancing at me. This was this was the rumor mill was spreading. Well, you are now so you, finally so come out. You? Yeah. And two of the biggest, most aggressive individuals in that mess then made a beeline for me. Yeah, yeah. And I remember gripping my pint glass a little bit tighter grabbing the stool underneath me, making yeah. sure my feet could touch the floor in case I needed to start swinging things. And they both walked over and they both stuck out their hands and shook my hands and said, if you've got the balls to come out as gay in the corporal's mess of the infantry, we are right behind you every step of the way. And that was it. It's this huge thing. And also you came out under very particular circumstances mm. in an environment which is not understand, not conventionally the most understanding, but yet in a certain respects has really provided you with a wonderful platform on which to, as I said, make a really big difference. And we will come to that at the end. Was it coming out of a marriage, obviously, and that there's all the emotions attached mm. to that? Um, were you looking to find somebody to fall in love with? Was that what you wanted? Or were you I think happy just came. to be Alistair Smudge, you know, a gay man who is finally out, a gay father, mm -hmm. you know, a gay ex-husband, somebody who's got responsibilities, but also is finally able to be himself? I found that it sort of, again, love is this thing that cannot be controlled. And I think I found it, it came in, well, I say love and I didn't really fully understand it at the time because yes. of the the potential emotional damage up until that point but i became very enamored with an individual so i'd gone from this sort of playing the field to 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 then seeing this one individual and we were together for three years um that's when that diminished um i'd had a couple of dates here and there but i just never really connected with individuals yes. um then i met a gentleman on literally new year's day and we just hit it off at the time so well and i think perhaps maybe because that was the first date effort to 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 appease each other and, and appear great to each other um, and i subsequently we were together for a year and then got married yes. and you know i was the first same-sex marriage in the military yes. i was the first same-sex marriage on a military establishment officiated by a member Fantastic. of the armed forces in cyprus and so but, this but think of where you how far you'd come I exactly mean, that, is, that is extraordinary exactly. you probably looked at your on the wedding day you probably looked and thought by george you know look back at yourself mm -hmm. and you were that closeted repressed really 
kind of you know tense individual. It's amazing that. Oh yeah, that, it, that it was it was wonderful to see the. Uh, I turned around. We, we've we've gone down the aisle. We've we've had the ceremony, and I turned around, and there, on one side, is sat my parents, my sister, my son. My daughters were still mm. back in the UK with their mother, and a handful of my family who had travelled from England and Australia to come to this wedding. And there was my partner's family, and there was hundreds of colleagues from work. This was in 2016, 16 years prior to that, would not have been allowed in any way, shape, or yeah. form. I've got the commander of the British forces in Cyprus behind me has just officiated at my wedding. And you can't help but reflect on how poignant and, and poetic this is from the the violence and the bullying and the, the fear. That to, lad back at school yeah. who told a friend and then had that confidence. Yeah, who had to, who had who, to who move had to the to, other side of the world. He literally to, had to move to other side, had to move yeah. to another job, was busy finding ways to avoid having to face up to himself. And eventually, then suddenly you're in this place getting married in front yeah. of all these people. What a wonderful, wonderful journey. That's very, very, very moving. Tell us a bit about what your what your work is now and, and what you're doing, because I think that it, it, it's, it, this is such a fantastic example of yeah. how to turn, you know, how you've turned your life around. And really So I think I, I now have sort of fallen into the, to, to that role model period where a lot of people will come to me and ask for advice or support or help and guidance. Yeah. And I wanted to then utilize that. And I work for organizations that deal right down to the bottom of going into primary schools to talking about diverse families. Um, we are not promoting a homosexual agenda. We are just saying every family is different. And I, I then reference every element of a different family I've got. Yes. You know, I've got an extended family and I've got all this, all the way to working with uh, a national, newly formed national charity that helps support um, and deal with reparations for LGBT plus veterans who were discharged from the forces prior to 2000. Because I want to, I started off working in the schools and with work because I never wanted other people to go through what I went through. Yeah. And then I wanted to start shaping the future of what I would like to see as I grow old. And what what is that thing? What is a, What is your vision of how the armed forces will be by the time you may retire from it what would you like for it to be i get asked that question quite a lot yes. and the gold-plated standard what does solution look like solution is a point where we don't need a network to support and advise mm. we need and we need to be to the point where it's a it's a it's a stereotypical phrase one day we won't have to come out we'll just tell people we're in love and that's where we aim to be fantastic and how will how being a rainbow dad how does that contribute towards that that gives me that understanding of how children look at us how my children have looked at me and how my children interact with that so that we can see how that generation is being shaped and now that I have grandchildren as well they will grow up with the normalcy that sometimes somebody loves somebody of the same sex yeah and that's not different from their mum and their dad amazing journey at the beginning of this interview I asked for those five words soldier father gay depressed uh, autistic and you said they were all interrelated but what you've created is you've created something amazingly strong yeah. out of all of those things uh, and even the acknowledgement of the things that are difficult and challenging then become a way of um, 
uh, overcoming them and dealing with them. So Smudge, I want to thank you very much for being my rainbow dad. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in Rainbow Dads 2, please contact LGBT Plus Switchboard on 0300 330 0630. And if you have enjoyed Rainbow Dads 2, please consider donating. Any donation, no matter how small, will enable us to produce future podcasts and bring more diverse and engaging stories to a growing audience worldwide. In the next series, we would like to focus on rainbow mums and rainbow kids. Please donate if you would like to join us on this journey by hitting the gold button on the right-hand side of the podcast page. Thank you. Rainbow Dads 2 is edited and mixed by Thea Ricard with music by Mina. It is produced by Richard Shannon and Nicholas McInerney. With very special thanks to David Ledane.